Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of the Ecom Show and today I'm here with Karl Lierud. He's from uh, Sweden and he's a professional speaker, two times TEDx speaker and uh, he participates in multiple events around the world as a speaker. He's been an entrepreneur for 25 years, worked with more than 3000 companies and I'm sure you know these names such as H&M or Spotify, AstraZeneca, Klarna or Tele2. Many of them are Swedish companies and uh, I'm really happy to see, you know, European and Swedish companies. Uh, I think they are very uh, innovative and uh, there are great startups in Sweden uh, even nowadays. So I'm really happy to have you here today, Carl. How are Thank you, you, Daniel. Great to be on the show. So let's start with your personal background, as I usually do. So 25 years of experience in entrepreneurship and you still look young. I mean, I don't know how old you are. You look like 30, 35. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you get started back then? Yeah. So uh, I actually started when I was 16, uh, when I founded my first IT consultancy company. And that's back in 1996. So today I'm 42. I always been pushing my own boundaries in a way to learn new things, to challenge my norm and to really uh, always evolve. And that's the way that led me to becoming a speaker, but also to become a business coach and mentor and to help companies overcome struggles that sometimes they don't even can identify, but just feel that there is something holding them back almost like gravity to to the earth it's like yeah there is something but we don't get it really yeah and was it purposeful for you to become a consultant and a speaker as well especially speaking because i can see many speakers they become let's say accidental speakers they are just invited and they accept it and that's how it gets started or or it, it was really purposeful from the beginning or or not really it just evolved. Uh, for me, it was a very natural path, I would like to say. Uh, it started with one of my former clients asking me to inspire and educate them internally on mm-hmm. some things that I have done for another company. So basically, they, they, were, they had the knowledge and the, and the understanding of a specific move that they would like to do, but they didn't have the experience. So... I stepped in and shared some of my experience with them and that helped them to basically protect them from misguided steps in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where it all started. And when I was doing that, I realized that this is something that really connects with me because it's like the next level for me as a consultant uh, where I step into a company and I identify their pain points and uh, things that hold them back. The next step after identifying that is to basically empower the organization, just not not always to start with a project and run a project to make the changes, but actually start by getting the company and the people working within the company to understand why. Mm -hmm. And that led to me starting to do public speaking. And from, from that path on, things have evolved even more because as a public speaker, you address specific topics and in the audience you see a type of persona 
it's not everybody that likes to go to an event and listen to a speaker having a monologue on stage. There are a bunch of people that much more prefer having a conversation with that individual. And that led me to becoming a business coach and, and mentor to actually work hands-on with people. And then as I progressed uh, on that development journey, I also found that, yeah, but that doesn't even fit everyone as well. And uh, there are people that would like to be inspired and empowered by thinkers and uh, to do that in their own way. And that led me down the path of also becoming an author. So I published five books and I'm working on my next book, which is called Future Innovation and Leadership. And how those three things is actually an, a sort of an equation. Without one, you will not have the next one, basically. And that's going to be super interesting as well. But writing books takes time. It's a lot of time, I know. I wrote also one book. It's more an ebook, so I it's not published. We wanted to print it, but in the end, we didn't. Maybe the yeah. next one. Quality is really important there, I think, when someone writes a book. So, yeah. So basically, these things are connected naturally, in your opinion. Being an author, being a coach, being a speaker, and you discovered each by time and their importance. Basically. Yeah, and also one important thing is that I'm not a speaker to speak on topics that I research on for that particular event or that client. I speak on topics that I have actually experienced firsthand, mm -hmm. that I have done for a number of clients already. So whenever I share my experience, it's actually based on real-life examples. And I can draw a number of parallels to dig deeper into why a suggestion or a, an approach or a choice is better than another one. Yeah. What, what takes uh, most of your time nowadays? How do you spend your days? Do you spend it with clients or more writing? Maybe yeah, most of, most of my time I'm spending with clients, okay. helping them to, to overcome these uh, obstacles. Uh, and of course, I also in my, as you like to call it, spare time, uh, do mentor sessions that is outside of office hours. And then I travel the world as a speaker and that I do all the time, all year round. And I really love to be on the stage and that uh, we are now uh, actually on the stage again and not just having virtual sessions because I'm very much about feeling the energy from the audience and, and reading the audience yeah. to see, okay, so this is a topic that I feel that they are more interested in and another topic that they're not as interested in. Let's, let's tweak the presentation so that we dig deeper into the areas that actually are of great value to whoever sits in the audience. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that you practice your craft every day because I know speakers or authors, they collect the data, dig into the data, but they don't work with real clients. And I think that's a big missing piece because that's, yeah. you have to stay close to the customers and the business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't, you can't stay ahead of the game if you're not ahead of the game in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you really need to be there and you really need to uh, do that homework or whatever we like to call it. Uh, and for me to be a good person to advise others, I need to understand what other companies are doing and uh, how the competition looks out there. Yeah, I agree. So let's uh, dive into the uh, main topics today, which is 
technology, AI, e-commerce, and also I want to touch the topic of leadership decision-making. Machine learning and AI, where are we now with this in e-commerce? Actually, what is machine learning? Maybe let's start there because I think many listeners, they don't know. I think they know AI. It's a bit of buzzword, I think, nowadays. How about yeah. machine learning? What is it exactly? Yeah, uh, I, I love that you bring this up because just as you say, many people think that they know, but when we dig deeper, they don't really know uh, or they have an assumption which might yeah. be not as grounded as you might need to actually address this topic from, from, a, from a good angle. Uh, so AI stands for artificial intelligence. And let's get back to that in, in a minute because what we're talking about is intelligence. And that's diff the big difference between AI and machine learning, because machine learning is where you have given a computer, a robot, a set of tools, a set of boundaries. Like you should, you should do this. Like, let's take an example. You should screw the light bulb clockwise. Mm -hmm. And if you unscrew the, the light bulb, you go uh, counterclockwise. And that is machine learning. It's not to say to the, the robot that uh, you are supposed to mount the light bulb and then for the robot to figure that out. So the difference is that for AI, you tell the AI, this is a thing, let's call it a light bulb, and you should mount it into the socket that is just up there. How you do that is up to you to figure out. So. At first, machine learning is much faster at figuring it out because it doesn't need to figure it out. It already have the instructions. And then it can add some, some findings as a result of that. But with AI, what you want to do is not to have those boundaries. Basically, we're talking about the box that we always talk about, thinking outside the box. And AI is equipped, or the best way to make use of AI is to remove the box, remove the boundaries and say, this is a thing and I want it to be fitted up there. It's up to you to figure out how. And then the AI or the model is actually trying to do that over and over and over again, failing a million times until it figures out maybe 10 different ways of doing it. And then it do that over and over again, trying these 10 different ways of doing it figuring out, okay, so there is one way that is the best one. And that way might be a totally different way than what we have thought of before. Yeah. And that's what's interesting with AI, that when we think of how it should be done, it's not always the most efficient way. Actually, one name came to my mind, which is Edison. I think because you said the light bulb and Edison said that he tried it 10,000 times and he found one. And yeah. this is what happens here, but much faster than Edison yeah. did. So, yeah, exactly. That's a exactly. very good uh, example, I think. Yeah. So, how can you imagine, or what do you think, how AI and machine learning will be used in e-commerce? Let's see in the next five years. I don't want to talk about, uh, you know, ro ro robots, terminators killing us or whatever, because that's Elon Musk. Uh, one yeah. of his favorite topics. But let's talk about the near future. What can we expect? Yeah, first of all, in, in the near future, we will, we will see, or we have already seen that the product information in e-commerce is generated using 
machine learning slash AI techniques. Basically, there's a, a trained software that is writing descriptions for products. Mm -hmm. And that we have seen already a couple of years ago being uh, utilized at quite a large extent, which makes it very difficult for, for search engine optimization companies to actually go in and do the work that they are doing by generating the right content when they compete against a machine. And that machine can, can push out a blog post about, let's say, this battery. And the blog post about the battery is then pushed out to a, a thousand different blogs as guest blog posts and why this particular battery is so good. And then that particular battery can only be found by this specific brand name or uh, product identifier or whatever we like to call it in one e-commerce site. And by doing so, you create, as it looks, an organic audience uh, interest in, in, the, in the product, but it's, it's computer generated. Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. Uh, I know several tools in several areas, few of them that came to my mind. So I know Jarvis, I know author.ai, my agency uses that, and it helps the copywriters to craft the blog post or for other companies, product uh, descriptions, or in email marketing, there are dynamic blocks. I don't, I don't know. I think it's AI as well. We can call it AI, but there are dynamic product blocks, which are based on the preference of the email recipient. And it's different for everyone. That's also a dynamic thing. And uh, I could see ads which are generated by AI, but uh, honestly, the reason why I know because it's just very bad quality. <laughs> so I think there is still big room to improve. Um, so I can already see these applications, but I think there is a ton of room to improve. Of course, and there will always be room to improve. But what's going to be really interesting in, in the future is when, when we come to the point where we can't see the difference. And yeah. people will get scared of not seeing a difference of the video of me right now compared to an AI generated video using techniques like deep fake, where you just load it with previous video content and then the AI is, is taught how to put my face on top of another face and the same technique here, not deep fake, but there is a similar technique for audio as well, that you train an AI to sound like me but there is someone else either typing or talking, and then they uh, modify the, the audio to sound exactly like me. And this has been uh, around for many years already. It's just that we have not seen it. We have not been uh, addressing the challenge connected to this. And of course, at one point we'll get to where there will be huge data stores where you basically store your ID. And now we're not talking about your passport or stuff like that, but actually your face and your voice to protect it so that no one else can use it. Or potentially that you put it in this data store and you say that it's for sale. Anyone can use it to have me say and do things, but I will only allow it to be used in these different ways. Uh, like for example, product marketing. Okay, I will mm -hmm. only market products that I personally believe in uh, let's say that that's uh, organic uh, food and uh, uh, cars. 
just as an example. All the other topics I'm not interested in, and you're not allowed to use my ID for that. Yeah, for me, deepfake is a very interesting area because uh, I can imagine that, I don't know, 20 years from now, we don't have to shoot an interview yep. or schedule it, just two deepfakes, they talk. So yeah, that's something really interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but there's also other areas which is interesting with with how we can connect uh, deepfake technology with video calls. Like, for example, as we have seen uh, uh, in augmented reality, where you put a layer mm -hmm. on top, for example, there's a dinosaur running around in the background, or I put on sunglasses and, and stuff like that. But if we add the next generation of basically a skin on your body, it could be that, yeah, okay, let's remove the headphones. I don't want them to show in the video, but I want them for for my best audio experience. And then let's let's say that I'm not wearing a, a shirt, I'm wearing a t-shirt, but I know that it looks better for the video to have a shirt. So I just click, okay, this is a shirt I want to use. And it's going to be empowered by technologies like AI and deep fake, but as an AR filter in combination. Yeah, I think very simple example that many people they use is just very simple, but the background on, on yeah. Zoom. If you can take the T-shirt, take a cap, maybe whatever. I can see in the NFT space, it's even they are going further in this. They make trends, whatever. Um, yeah. So it's a very interesting uh, area, I would say. Um, let's change our topic a bit. So my next question would be, how this affects decision making, this evolving technology, and everyone says that trends are faster than ever. How does it affect leadership and uh, making smart but still fast decisions? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because the answer is there's no uh, right or wrong answer in that way. The answer is basically it depends on the industry. Yeah, if you don't mind, let me share just a quick story so i talked to actually this was our 100th episode everyone yeah. can check it out ezra firestone he has an uh, eight figure multiple eight figure e-commerce stores he's in e-commerce and skincare and i asked this question from him because i was really interested to see if they are a bit slow with things coming up with new ad creatives or maybe you know, um, deciding an acquisition too late, whatever, they lose opportunities. And at first, he didn't even understand the question, I remember, because uh, in his mind, it's not really a question. So he, he simply told me, I think this was his answer, that uh, they try their best to be fast, but not more. So they are not focusing on speed too much. That was my impression. But I think if you are maybe a software company, uh, let's say Spotify, I'm sure they must be fast. But this is my opinion. Um, but what do you think? Yeah, um, I have many opinions. Uh, so let's start with the first one. And that is that I believe that we should always focus on who the buyer or the customer is. And by doing so, it's easier for us to prioritize and lead within the company. But normally, in most companies, we are prioritizing and leading the company based on technical implications. So like, yeah, uh, some tech departments say, yeah, we need four months to do this. Okay, uh, four months to, then, then let's plan for that. Uh, we plan for it time-wise and we plan for the budget 
to, to afford that. But we are not doing micro iterations in, in a sensible way. We are not doing customer review testing surveys or whatever we like to call it before we start investing time and money. And I am a strong believer of actually pressure testing things as early as ever possible to make sure that this is something that is valid. It's something that customers crave for more or less. And if they don't crave for it, if they don't feel that this is a problem um, that's, uh, or that this is a solution to that problem, then maybe we should not do it. But then if we look at some other areas where like, for example, fashion, the fashion industry have previously been working with a number of seasons or for like winter clothes and summer clothes and, and autumn and spring. This has changed totally. And we're now talking with fast fashion and they don't see seasons in the way that we consumers see the seasons because they have seen that we can sell more if the customer always feel that there is something new. Previously, there was like a season launch. Here is all the products for the summer. But then all the customers comes at once and they want to buy. And then uh, there are some products that are sold and some are not. So what they have done is, is basically doing micro iterations and I'm saying like, this is the product that is new today or this week instead of waiting a month or a quarter. But the problem with that is that we are consuming products at a very large extent, which affect the natural uh, situation, our planet Earth. So they try to tackle this with different environmental programs to recycle uh, fibers and so on. But I think that there is much more we can do within this field. And if we look at e-commerce specifically, one of the big problems is that when we order, especially fashion clothes, we uh, tend to order more than one because uh, more than one per item because we want to try out which is the best fit which means that maybe 20 to 50 percent of our stock is out actually out and circulating being delivered or returned from end customers which makes it very difficult to to count on stock stock value and with ai and machine learning we can teach the ai or the machine the computer what your preferred sizes, given your previous transaction history. But then things change and fashion change. And all of a sudden, you don't want to have a tight-fitting T-shirt. You want to have an oversized T-shirt. And then the model will be wrong. We need to figure out how to do this in a more creative way, where we actually have the sizing model as a separate thing that the consumers own. Just like we talked about the face. I own my face. It's my ID. Uh, but let's say that I own my size, I don't own my persona. Uh, and that's going to be super interesting when one company actually becomes the leader that, uh, that affects the market. Because there have been many initiatives, and I have looked at many of these different startups that have sold it. They actually sold it, but they are too small. They are not H&M and Zara. They are not one of the huge companies that are all over the world. And that is a challenge within that field, I think. It's but, a problem of scale, I guess. Yeah, it's a problem of scale. Mm -hmm. um, but if we step back to the question about leadership, I would like to say that there is two different types of leadership. We, we do need to plan for like way ahead in the future. 
we need to have a, a good solid base to stand on to build the company and so that the company the people within the company feel trust but then we also need leaders that push those boundaries and like okay i know that we're going in that direction but right now to be innovative to be that challenger we need to go backwards we need to go in this direction because all of a sudden something has changed that we need to turn left uh, and and like do these as it looks a bit unstructured decisions to actually push everyone in the right uh, angle the right direction at the time yeah do you think uh, these two traits or characteristics it should be in the same leader no it's two two different types of leaders and I am a strong believer of leading by example and and uh, actually show how you can do it so that people feel that they can follow instead of feel that they are being forced in a direction that they don't believe in. Uh, and to be able to do that, you need to build trust and not just trust towards consumers, but actually trust within the company and show that, okay, so bring up examples. We have done this. It didn't work, but we did learn these things that helped us when we came to this other point at another stage. And if we had not done this other experiment, we would have taken the wrong decision when it was more important at a later stage. And if I understand correctly, these two leaders, they should be in the company at the same time. So we are not yes. talking about changing the leaders, but uh, and they should be co-founders or... It's very common that there is a CEO and a COO, an operative yeah. person. I think that's, yeah. the, that's the best. Actually, yeah. that's what I'm thinking about in my company. I'm, I'm more a person who is really pushing forward and more a visionary person. But sometimes I, I think I'm good with processes as well, but not. I think I'm better with visionary things. So yeah. I don't need someone operational, definitely, in the long run. Yeah, but if we look at this, if we look at the company as uh, something delivering things, whatever it might be, like you're, you're trying to solve a problem, you're trying to deliver that solution. And if we uh, think of it as a toolbox, then to drill a hole, you would not use a hammer. It might work, you might get a hole, but it looks terrible. Uh, you could use a screwdriver, it's going to take some time, and the hole might not be at the right size. You could use a drill. And that's probably the tool you should use. But for you to be able to uh, work as a carpenter and do the entire construction, you need all tools. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. One more question here. So for company leaders, especially, should they focus on technology or psychology, especially customer psychology? They should know both or maybe two people are needed here. What do you think? Yeah, uh, definitely two or even more people are needed, uh, depending on the company and the company size and what mm -hmm. field of business a company is operating in, of course. Uh, but I think that psychology is one thing that is uh, of greatest importance for a leader, not just to understand like what the customers are, are looking for and, and what they expect of you, but also why the team might not feel as you do when you come up uh, with new initiatives that the team should follow up. Yeah, that makes sense. What would be your one tip for e-commerce businesses, let's say SMBs this year or even next year, in the next, let's say, five years, what they should focus on? I, I believe that the time of personas is basically over. 
we consumers are looking for an individual treatment. I want companies to treat me as the consumer I am. And that's what will make me, the consumer, come back over and over again. If I'm treated as a group, a persona of a number of different peoples, then I will not feel as special. I will not feel that you actually care about me and take care of me. And that's why we today can split personas into, let's call it micro personas, because from a, mm -hmm. from a GDPR perspective, maybe we still need to treat it as a persona. Uh, maybe I, I, the company can't tailor all customers based on unique identifiers in that sense, but I can still develop the persona at such a detailed level. So it actually becomes an individual. Yeah, I think that's a great close for today. Uh, increased personalization to such a level that each person is just different. And uh, also my, what my company, email marketing, what we do you, uh, using AI tools, that's, uh, that's crucial. So it's not just about a segment or a buyer persona, but about each individual separately. And I think that's really important, becoming even more important. Carl, um, thanks for coming here today and sharing all of these. It was very insightful. And if anyone wants to find you where they can follow you and see your uh, speeches or, or maybe read your, read your books. Yeah, of course. So first of all, uh, the next book uh, will be out uh, later this year, Future Innovation and Leadership. I think that it will open many people's eyes on how you can uh, empower uh, a company from the inside. And uh, to find out more about that, go to my website, carllilrud.com. And uh, if you'd like to understand more about the work that I do on a daily business, you can go to my LinkedIn profile. Just Google, uh, search for Carl Lilrud on LinkedIn. There is only one person in the world. That's the easiest way to find me. And if you want to reach out directly to me and talk about my mentorship program or uh, speaking at your company or at an event, then uh, email me at me, uh, that's M-E, at carlilrud.com. Yeah, we will put these all of these into the description so every listener can find these. And uh, thanks again. And also thanks everyone who listened to us today or later the um, recording. And uh, if you like this episode, make sure that you give us a review on the podcasting platforms or on YouTube and uh, stay tuned, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.